Based on a true story. We love that shit. When we see that line pop up on the screen, we're like, oh my god, I gotta see it. What makes it even better for us, though, is when it's paranormal. Yeah, okay, a slasher film having based on true events, we know that. You're literally here with me every week because I tell you about the gruesome, heinous acts that we, as humans, commit. Having a man in a ghost face mask wreak havoc? Oh, that's terrifying, yes. But also, you could read that probably in your Tuesday paper. Because our world is that fucked up. We as humans are that fucked up and that heinous. But I'm pretty sure collectively, at this point in 2022, we're just like, huh. <sighs> Same shit, different day. The world doesn't even shock me anymore. But when we see, based on a true story, and then it's followed by paranormal shit, oh my god. We love it. And I think, personally, a reason for that is a lot of us have had our own unexplainable events. Maybe they didn't involve spooky ghosts, but they definitely didn't add up to the laws of physics. Maybe they were something that you don't ever even want to tell somebody because you're like, no, nah, they're going to think I'm crazy. So I'm just going to keep that in my noggin for like ever. It's just a secret. Or maybe you do tell some people or maybe somebody had an experience as well. Whatever, you know, you get it. It makes you feel a little bit validated that things are a little bit spooky and you can't always explain them. Or if you're also like me and you just flat out believe that there is more to this world than we can ever comprehend and it's very narcissistic of us to think that there's not. So maybe, just maybe, paranormal, supernatural, and all things unexplained can be real. I'm not saying I'm gonna go buy a hoodie that says Yeti is my homeboy. But I am saying that there's a chance that like Bigfoot, Loch Ness, and ghosts are fucking real. We literally are still finding new existence of creatures that have been alive for thousands of years because we're still discovering new things on this planet. So, <laughs> yeah, it's possible. And that's why when we see Based on a True Story, we love it. So I thought with Halloween fast approaching, I could tell you about a true story. The 1970s were a heyday for blockbuster horror films, which led us into the 80s, which even led to bigger iconic films and remakes. There are Hollywood icon films today that have occult followings and are still being remade. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even though the true story behind that isn't a family, it is Ed Gein, which one day I will cover. We also had Amityville Horror, which I have talked about, the original Ron DeFeo. But there is a lesser known, very terrifying movie that came out in 1982. And it was based on a 1978 novel of the same name. This is the entity. It is the quote, true story behind a case that involves a California woman. The tale she told of her haunting she experienced was absolutely terrifying. Whatever true documented events, because yes, there's documentation about this experience. Whatever they are, they led to some sort of book that inspired this movie. Of course, the movies are over-embellished and extremely exaggerated no matter what they are. Ghost story or not, Hollywood embellishes everything. So despite our pop culture prominence of these alleged true stories that aren't, I want to share with you the true story. Because Doris's case is not widely mentioned, especially in books that claim to have true ghost stories and paranormal events. One reason is probably because the case is so complex and it's really straining on credibility, even for believers. Another may be that it involves alleged supernatural sexual assault, not saying that that cannot happen. I mean, we literally have, you know, the incubus and succubus uh, lore. 
which is a supposed demonic entity or paranormal entity that uses your sexual energy for its life force. And that's like the nitty gritty just definition. So not saying that that cannot happen. It's passed over though in favor of more family friendly and of course scary true stories, but this one is terrifying. If it's actually 100% true, I don't know. But the fact that it may be is downright terrifying. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, welcome to this episode of What the Actual F. My name is Harmony, and today I wanna tell you about the entity. always believed that there were several planes of existence and we as human beings inhabit only one what happened to you guys last night anyway i was attacked is this the first time something like this has ever happened no things have come to me in the night why do I see and feel these things? Some things are more terrible than other things. And you felt like a man? Big man. But when my son came in, there was nobody there. He evaporated. That's classic poltergeist activity. You know, there was a time when people believed in the supernatural. These ghosts and demons were only ideas, but people saw them. You think I'm insane? First, we have to find out what the problem is. In the meantime, I'll be dead. He's stronger than you are. He'll kill me if he has to. Isn't it possible that some entity has crossed into our plane of existence? There was somebody there. I couldn't see him with my eyes, but there was somebody there. appear to us now. It's my decision. What, to stay sick? To stay alive. Doris Bither's story is absolutely tragic. And yes, I could start from the beginning and share with you the years of abuse that she endured all the way from her childhood. Even the tales of her tragic marriages that would end. But we don't need to dwell on that because it's not important for the tale that I have for you. What I do need you to know is Doris had a very rough life. And at this point in our story, where we're going to begin. She was a little bit into her life. She had four children, three boys, and a daughter. And she had a home of her own. However, it wasn't really the best. Because Doris had such a rough life, she was a bit of an alcoholic and had a few drug addictions. Not saying it's okay, but Doris was doing her best to try and cope. But because of some of her issues and what she had been dealt with, she was living in a bit of poverty. This home that she shared with her four children was a condemned house. And the occurrences that her and her children would experience in these walls were nothing short of terrifying. Doris and her kids would describe terrifying experiences that they had with some unseen force. Doris would explain that she was physically attacked, being thrown across a room into a wall by something she could not see. She would also describe how she was sexually assaulted by something she could not see. But she could feel it. And I'm not saying that as like a hubba hubba. I'm saying that as a female or just a fucking person that would be absolutely terrified to experience some form of some sexual activity without seeing whoever it was. And I know someone out there is going to be like, I think that's kind of hot. Cool, <laughs> you kinky bitch. I don't mean that with offense. But for the sake of this tale, this is something that is absolutely terrifying. Not really kinky. And it gets worse though because her son would even come forward and have a similar experience. Just the whole thing's really dark and twisty. And sadly, she didn't have anybody to like go and talk to because who's she gonna call? The fucking police? I mean, let's be real. Yeah, sure, it'd be great if we could just go ahead and like ring up 911 and be like, there is something scary happening in my home. I'm not sure what it is because I can't see it, but 
Shit is bonkers. You know, just explain that some figure is harassing your home, lights are turning on and off, you're hearing voices, just like a lot of scary stuff. Instead of them sending the woo-woo scary wagon that wants to take you away to your special friend's place so they can make you feel better because you would sound absolutely crazy, they aren't gonna help you. But it would be cool if they had like some sort of paranormal team, you know, like Ghostbusters or whatever. Anyways, getting sidetracked, let's get back to this. So what was she honestly to do though? Could she call 911? Because she would just be met with this. Yeah, so like she just, she had nowhere to go except to a friend. Thankfully, this friend listened and she she took it all in and was just flabbergasted. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means <gasps> shocked, left without words. Couldn't believe what she was hearing. To sum it all up, she was like, whoa. However, that is where our tale should actually end. Because like most people, if we have some sort of spooky occurrence, even if they happen over and over and over and get even more increasingly terrifying, usually when we tell people, it doesn't go much further. I mean, yeah, a few people will end up on a few episodes of our reality ghost TV shows to investigate these terrifying experiences. And even more so, some may get turned into Hollywood blockbusters like this. But for most people, it ends when you tell your friend about some creepy experience that you had. However, not for Doris, because that friend would enter a bookstore one day and meet Barry and Carrie. And this, ladies and gentlemen, would be where our true tale of terror would begin. What we think about ourselves, and in the end, they may tell us more about ourselves than we ever imagined. All right, let me tell you what I've observed decades of doing talk radio about this subject. Um, a lot of it is BS, frankly, and a lot of it um, is just simply not true. It may be entertaining, but it's not true. But, and it's a big but, Doctor, um, there is a very a great deal of it that I have found to be absolutely unquestionably true, and, and that would go particularly for that which I've personally experienced. And, you know, of course, everybody would say that um, if I... Right. If I felt it, if I experienced it, then it's true. Uh, but there are some things I know are true, and that's why I continue to pound away in this area, because we are more than just our physical selves, more than our physical belongings, more than physical everything. There's something that's true about that. Right. I agree with 100% of what you said, but even more so than you described. Once you get past the 98 99.9 chunk of garbage that's being discussed to the public, tone of the public. Right. Once you get past that, what's left is extraordinary beyond words. Oh, yes. Now, before anybody decides to, like, send me an email and say, oh, my God, there were spoilers in that last episode you did. No shit, Sherlock. It's literally called the true story behind the movie The Entity. I mean, I don't know what you expected. Congratulations, you played yourself. So just in case, I'm gonna cover my tushy and let you know there are obviously spoiler alerts ahead. Now that I warned you of that, let me go ahead and just introduce one of those. Just as depicted in the film, her friend does bump into Barry Taff and Carrie Gaynor in a bookstore. So she's just kind of like looking at books when she hears two men talking about these paranormal occurrences and how they feel about them. As she's hearing them speak of it, it's not like they're just sitting there being like, oh my god, I had something spooky happen in my kitchen last night. And then like Carrie's just, oh, no, what was it? No, they were actually talking about legitimate stuff. She could tell that this was sort of like their expertise. So she walks up to them and is just like, hey, I have a friend, her name is Doris, and there is some very scary, unexplainable things happening at her house. Could you just like meet with her? Maybe talk to her and just get a feel for it? Immediately, Barry and Carrie, God, I love that. It's just fucking, it rolls off the tongue. They are so intrigued, they set up an interview, which they have with Doris in August of 1974. Side note, this was just after The Exorcist, which previously was a best-selling novel since 1971, was released in theaters. I'm not saying that the movie and the book, you know, combined over the years, led to this sort of story maybe possibly being embellished. No, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I'm just saying some people have definitely insinuated it. I'm also not gonna say I do or don't fully believe that Doris's tale happened. I'm gonna say it's terrifying. 
and to even think for an inkling of a moment that it could have is terrifying all and in and of itself. So, okay. Barry Taft, by the way, holds a doctorate in psychophysiology. And he even goes on to personally describe himself as, quote, a foremost brilliant, dedicated scientist, an extraordinary inventor, and an expert in numerous areas of science. And I can't forget his associate, Carrie Gaynor. Carrie has a degree in philosophy and markets himself as a hypnotherapist specializing in smoking cessation. You know, kind of like what I think Kat Von D did. No, she did acupuncture. Sorry, I remember being obsessed with like LA and Miami Inc. way back in the day. <clears throat> Sorry. But yeah, so Carrie could hypnotize you and you could quit smoking and he could also tell you about ghosts and so could Barry. So they were the perfect experts for this. And uh... This is where the investigation sort of starts. As is often the case with people who are haunted or places that are experiencing some sort of occurrence, the introduction of physics and paranormal investigators and other self-styled ghost hunters can escalate over time. And this is exactly what sort of began, which I guess would sort of like exacerbate the situation at hand. You see, if a trained psychologist or maybe even a social worker had stopped by, they would have just seen a troubled woman, probably under some sort of stress, maybe duress, maybe just suffering a mental episode. Because our society looks at it as though hauntings and paranormal occurrences are not real. So maybe she's not crazy, but maybe she just needs a little bit rest and a lot of meds. However, when you introduce parapsychologists and investigators into the situation, the haunting aspect really seems to deepen. Nonetheless though, Barry and Carrie saw this as their opportunity to research a quote, real haunting. Can you have him go into detail on the entity case? I heard the interview you did with him back in the 90s, and boy, was that a spooky case. Do you remember which one that was, Doctor? Well, of course. It began um, August 22nd, 1974, Culver City, California. It began when my colleague, my old colleague at the time, was in a bookstore in Westwood of Hunter's Books, and uh, he's talking about our work with a friend. And a woman and her friend on the next aisle overheard him, and she said, oh, by the way, my house is haunted. So my colleague went, Okay, give me your name and number. We'll call you and set up an appointment. Mm -hmm. So we did. Went out to her house. Maybe a week or so later, it was a hot August night, and Neil Diamond wasn't there. There you go. And very muggy in the house, little shack on Braddock Drive in Culver City. And the first thing, Doris Bither, B I T H E R, the very first thing she told us right off the bat that she'd been repeatedly raped by a ghost, and we went, "What? Huh?" World arrives back, and we thought this woman is, you know, emotionally disturbed. She needs help. She needs psychiatric intervention, medication, therapy, but she doesn't need parapsychologists. Right. So we took her notes. We took notes down, but we looked. They said, "Really, there's nothing we can do for your situation." She went, "What?" I said, "You know, we suspect what you need is something far different than us." And that was it. And then a week later, she, and I wrote a big P on the top of the form, fill out in every case. That, to me, was in the first psychotic. There's no reason to waste any more time with them. But she called back about a week to ten days later, and some friends and neighbors had witnessed things. Well, this changed the whole thing, because if there's corroborative testimony and multiple witnesses, you suddenly take some interest. So what really happened? Unfortunately, the case was never competently and fully and truly investigated. So I sort of have to piece together and you and I have to come to a reasonable guess on what happened, or at least the involved claims of what had happened, all over the course of several months in 1974. We have Barry's claims and conclusions, which can be examined with an eye toward what evidence is offered. Uh, or at least, like, what evidence is kind of absent. But, you know, we're gonna try. There is a lot of little independent corroboration of the alleged extremely terrifying and extraordinary events. So it's not just like one person saying, holy shit, I saw this like terrifying fucking figure You're right behind me in the mirror. You'd probably be like, no, dude, you should probably get some sleep. I, I mean, I've heard that you can see faces in the mirror. Your own face can morph, especially if like <laughs> your eyes are a little bit, well, well, just get some rest. 
However, when several people have the same experience, it's a little harder to ignore. Yes, several of these people have since passed away, so that evidence is still kind of hard to corroborate and make sure those stories align. But we're gonna work with what we have from the time to now. We're gonna work with all of Barry's releases that he has shared over this topic over the years, and there's a lot. I mean, he's written a book, he has a 10,000 word chapter about it on his website, he's talked about it in interviews, there's, there's a lot doesn't mean it's gonna yield some clarity, but you know, we're gonna try. Now, Barry described this investigation as beginning on August 22nd, 1974. A 10-week investigation of a reportedly haunted house located in Culver City, California. It demonstrated evidence that it was infested with and frequented by occurrences of poltergeist activity in the form of object movements, collectively observed apparitions, as well as cold and stench spots. In fact, one summary notes that Barry and Carrie observed displays of small, rapidly moving balls of light on several occasions, which occurred in the presence of a woman in her mid to late 30s. The lights were reported to change in their motion, size, and even in their intensity in responses to the investigator's request so they were interacting with these. Now, attempts to photograph the lights were reportedly met with no success. Although in a few rare instances, the lights were captured on film as curved arcs of light. Kind of like trails of a flash in a sense, or like a, like a bug moving in motion, but it doesn't look like that. It just looks like trails of light of movement. These can appear in photos, especially if it's a lighted object in motion. So are these photographs actual photographs of the entity or entities? Or is it just, as Nuke would say from Nuke's Top 5, some elaborate hoax? We're standing in the kitchen talking, and the lower cupboard door comes open, and, and an iron skillet jumps out, or frying pan jumped out, and takes a, a, a leap of a few feet away from the cupboard. And we check for if there were animals in there, with wires or springs, or who knows what. There was nothing. And there began the onslaught, and it... Um, the bedroom suddenly was ice cold. It felt like it was refrigerated, yet it was a very warm summer. And yet we couldn't detect the source of the cold. And, yet, and we couldn't always record it, which is even stranger. So what I was going to ask, could you measure it? Not all the time. So this investigation that was conducted, sorry, at what uh, Barry calls a broken down, shabby nature of the wooden dwelling. No clue what that means. I think that's just like his roundabout way of saying we were in a shit shack. However, he does share that he had so much phenomena happen, you know, like the typical stuff you have with ghost stories, cold spots, things moving around and flying around on their own, some bad smells, you know, all that kind of stuff. However, there just isn't a lot of documentation, like not a lot of solid physical evidence, something that's tangible for others to go, oh shit, no, I like, I kind of believe that. I'm not saying that word of mouth isn't something that you should believe. Don't go around telling everyone they're a liar because they don't have some sort of proof. But as per usual, when you hear such, uh, I guess, extreme tales, having a little even grain of evidence helps go a long way. And yes, there was some stuff that was in evidence, but not a whole lot. In fact, besides a lot of just regurgitation and repeating of the same stories, the only real evidence that's impressive in at least Barry Taft's eyes is photographs. Now, during the second visit to this home, they would bring additional equipment and several cameras. This is when they claimed that they would later yield unexplainable photography. Photos that they just don't understand. In an article, Kenny Beidel takes a critical look at the photographic evidence offered by Doris's case. In this, it uncovers some new information suggesting that there is far less to this case than meets the eye. What is strange is the most dramatic and terrifying events didn't happen 
when Barry or other people happen to be there. In fact, Barry writes, quote, I will refrain from going into all the bizarre stories that were related to us, for we cannot substantiate them at this time. However, Barry and Carrie and all of their colleagues were forced to rely on what Doris had told them had already been occurring in the home. So I don't wanna like state that nothing had happened because they did have their own occurrences and so did many other people. But just how much of this is paranormal? Now unable to truly verify her claims, the pair would launch somewhat of an investigation. They tried the century-old techniques of ghost communication, you know, like, knock twice if you're here. Side note, when I just said all that, an acorn fell on the uh, roof of the room I'm sitting in and totally made me jump. However, just because they were asking the spirits to like create sounds or manipulate lights or, you know, like make some responses, kind of like how if you were to watch ghost shows today, they'd be like, turn the flashlight on if you can hear me. And the flashlight goes and it turns on. There's like dramatic music and they're like, oh my God, you see that? I don't know what they expected though. Like they literally asked for it to happen. I love how they're shocked. Like you're gonna ask for something and then you go, it actually happened? You fucking asked. So Barry states that like their efforts were both unscientific and often also fruitless. He states that quote, the answers we received could not be confirmed and they never really made any sense either. I have no idea what that means. Like, you're the one asking the questions and having the experiences, yet you can't confirm them. I, I mean, <laughs> I guess that makes sense. I too have forgotten moments of my life, so I couldn't really confirm what happened, you know? Like, what'd you do yesterday? I honestly can't tell you. I can barely remember what I ate this morning, so <laughs> I guess can neither confirm or deny can, can be a true statement, even if you've experienced it yourself. And that's where we lay with Barry and Carrie. Can confirm was there, can't confirm did actually happen is their premise. Now, much like what you see on TV today, they did use what you could call like, quote, ghost hunting equipment. However, much like all the other evidence, there wasn't a lot of uh, ambiguously conclusive evidence. At this point, it wasn't that obvious to Barry and Carrie that there could be some spookiness happening. But that's not gonna stop them from telling the story today as if the most terrifying thing ever. Then we began seeing these strange pops of light. Um, and we, what's this? And so we saw them. We then tried to control Doris's environment. We put up poster boards over her walls and ceiling and over the windows. This was happening primarily in, in the, her main bedroom. And can I, can I ask you, when you say pops of, I actually have a couple of questions. When you say pops sure. of light, what do you mean? Like, just like a light popped on real quickly, and it popped on and popped off, popped on. But the lights began to move. We called them, I called them corpuscular masses, because they looked like gelatinous in mm. nature. And they were three, clearly three-dimensional, very dynamic, and flying around the room. And they were always lime green in color. Now I want to get to the sexual assault claims. Doris's ghostly sexual assault claims, which are perhaps the most notable and biggest aspect of her story. This is what makes it somewhat even more unique than the modern horror cinema story that you see today. Despite all the stories of what Doris and her family and the investigators did experience even together, it is the tales of what Doris experienced on her own that really stand out about this case. Despite pseudo-panic scenes on quote reality television, ghost hunting shows in which participants say that they are pushed or hurt by some unseen forces, in all truth, Claims of serious supernatural assault are very rare. A lot of the stuff that you see and hear on TV, sorry to say, is absolutely embellished. Even Ghost Adventures, even Ghost Hunters, even Ghost Nation, and I'm not saying that to be a dick because I'm friends with some of these people. Some of it is over-exaggerated for the sake of entertainment. It is entertainment. Because in all truth, if it was reality, there would be no script. And there are scripts in these things. 
Now, I'm not saying assaults do not happen even in these reality shows. People do get pushed, their hair gets pulled, they do get scratched, and so much more. But it's not a constant, common occurrence. You're lucky to even get a response from a spirit, let alone get your hair pulled and have your booty smacked. Sorry, had to throw in a little bit of humor, because, you know, <laughs> this is creepy. However, Doris's tale, and I'm sorry to put it that way, really is dark and grim and I'm not gonna make any jokes when it comes to the sexual assault. The saying the hair getting pulled and your ass getting smacked was me joking about getting a response from a spirit you know saying like hey smack knock tap scratch if you're here and then they just like pull your hair smack your booty. But her tale of assault is downright fucking terrifying. In fact, in my own opinion, whimsical, benign, and somewhat comfortable tales of hauntings are something I enjoy. And when I say comforting and whimsical, I still am talking about frightening tales. You know, people hearing their names being called, doors being slammed, and lights being turned on. They're comforting and whimsical because these are the common haunting tales. They bring reassurance to things that could have happened to you or maybe someone you know. But when you add what I'm about to tell you into this, it's no longer comforting. It's not a normal, run-of-the-mill, haunting tale. It's downright fucking terror. So Doris's story, if true, is notable for this reason. Barry notes, the most intense occurrence which Doris related to us was that she had been sexually assaulted by three semi-visible beings. Two of the smaller beings, or apparitions, literally held her down by the wrist and ankles, while the remaining form entered her. According to Doris's testimony, this event took place on several separate occasions, each time leaving behind large and distinct black and blue wounds, especially around the ankles, wrist, breast, groin area, and inner thighs. Before anyone tries to go, that's bullshit. Because a lot of people have tried to knock this part of Doris's tale, except I need to, I just want to say something. We literally have lore and urban legends about succubus and incubus, as in succubi and incubi. These are entities known to live and thrive off of sexual energy. So I'm not gonna dismiss this claim because I can't tell you if it's true or not. I just think it's pretty impressive, especially because people had seen the bruises and there just didn't really seem to be a reason why they were there. Yes, she could have been doing them to herself, but it seems like a lot of work and a lot of fucking self-torture. But I mean, there are people out there that would do it, so who knows? But what I will ask is, uh, take you back, one other question, then you can go on, and that is, you said you encountered witnesses to corroborate this woman's story before you really got into it. Um, what did they see, and how many witnesses? Um, two, three, there were three witnesses, all women, okay. all a little older than Doris, right? and seemingly a little more grounded. She was very cryptic in her answers to her questions, and somewhat evasive. Today, if people are that evasive and cryptic, we walk away. We just leave because we know we're wasting our time. Now, I'm not going to say what Doris claims she experienced isn't true. Because as crazy and uh, bizarre as it may sound that somebody was sexually assaulted by a spirit, it is not a first-time claim. In fact, an author by the name of Colin Waters has a book called Sexual Hauntings Through the Ages. And he describes that a lot of hauntings have some sexual nature or even suppressed sexual feelings undertoned in them. There's a lot of phantom gropers, dead peeping toms, and deceased heavy breathers. Yes, it's a lot less likely that there are downright demonic rapes, but there are a lot of sexual experiences with specters that are claimed to have happened. I don't really want to quote the book too much because he also states that there was a ghost whorehouse in the middle of Edinburgh, Scotland. He says sadly this place is now demolished, however, people would gather and watch through the windows every single evil ghost and specter that ever existed in Scotland do dirty things to each other. I don't, I, I don't even know how to explain the logistics of a ghost orgy, but we're gonna put that aside. There is a very famous alleged sexual haunting known as the Bell Witch Case, 
Or you may even recall in 2012, Ryan Seacrest had an interview with Kesha. And Kesha even says that she's had her own sexual experiences with spirits and she rather enjoyed them. Then there's actress Natasha Vlasic and she says the same thing. Quote, I could feel that somebody was touching me and the hands were pushing me against my will and I could feel the weight of the body on top of me. I couldn't see anybody, but I could feel the pressure, the energy, the warmth pushing in every different direction. It was really pleasurable. And I was delighted when the unseen entity returned the following month. So it seems as though it's kind of a thing that happens. So I'd like to keep that just in mind as we go forward. There are surely like countless more unknown men and women who have had probably such experiences, but they're not really coming forward because Nobody really wants to go to their friend and say, hey, I think, I think I was assaulted by a spirit. You don't, you just don't, how do you lead with that? So it's really impossible what to know exactly these people are experiencing. But some psychological phenomena can give the impression of a ghostly lover. These experiences, sometimes scary and sometimes can be overtly sexual, but they're always vivid and realistic to the person experienced them, are a result of normal brain misperceptions and illusions. There's also additional evidence for a psychological explanation for Doris's experiences that can be found in an article of Mental Health, Religion, and Culture. It goes on to kind of state that indeed the family was under a lot of dysfunction and even stress, stating that it seemed as though they didn't always get along and they fought often. But the son stated that they were all psychic and that they often had their own occurrences with shadow figures and spirits. This kind of was like laying the undertone that they were very, quote, open to this possibility. Researchers also noted that while Doris's case was extremely sensational, it does sort of bring up that there's a huge difference between paranormal ideations and psychological wellness, or a symptom and perception of what is important, you know, reality. They suggest that Doris represents what they call, quote, haunted people syndrome. It is a condition in which the person who's experienced it within the general population, they invoke labels of ghosts or other supernatural agencies to explain a certain set of an experience in their life. Like a light burnt out, but all they saw was a light turn off. And instead of thinking, oh shit, the light just blew, it was spiritual energy that caused the light to go boop. Again, not stating that what they're believing isn't their reality, they just are concluding that that's exactly what it is. And I don't want to say that that's what happened in the case of Doris, but that is what this article does state. Correct. If something is affecting your brain directly, right. um, let's say the occipital lobe or the frontal lobe, yes. the parietal or whatever, and that affects your brain to have some sort of, you know, visual hallucination. You can't record that with any instrument I'm aware of mm. on Earth that we know of. Although the Russians decades ago were claiming they could record things like that. It never proved out. Um, the question is, what did we see? Well, the case evolved. It evolved. The phenomena grew weaker over time. But at one point, we're in the bedroom. It was ice cold. And we were saying, basically, holding little seances with nothing else to do. And we put on music that the children, or boys said, when they put it on, um, whatever, at certain points of the certain songs, the phenomena would increase. So we started doing that, and we saw that it, it did indeed increase. But was that due to our intense dislike of the music? Or was that due to the fact that there was some, you know, correlation with the audio, you know, the acoustic waves coming off the record players, and um, we'll never know. But um, at one point, the black poster board started tearing off the wall. Now, each black poster board had a number and a magnetic orientation. So if we got more photographs, we could tell where they were coming from and going to. We had a reference grid. And suddenly something, you know, after we're pleading, do something. Suddenly the duct tape was being pulled off right in front of us. And mm -hmm. it flew off the ceiling and hit Doris in the head. Now, Dr. Barry Taff himself, I don't believe, and it's very apparent by his writings, that he believed Doris's assaults. In fact, he had this to say. 
Quote, Unfortunately, Doris's claim of spectral rape could not be substantiated due to her failing to report this incident to medical or other authorities. The fact that alleged instances of paranormal rape occurred several weeks prior to our initial arrival prevented us from observing her already healed bruises. Contrary to what many people believe, the case of Doris Byther was not, in my professional opinion, the result of spectral rape, but rather disturbingly real poltergeist outbreak. He does continue, though, sort of adopting a uh, pseudo-skeptical stance. And I quote, Remember, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And while there was plenty of evidence that we were dealing with real paranormal phenomena, it was very likely that had nothing whatsoever to do with incorporeal sex, except in the mind of Doris and her children. It was apparent from the outset that Doris was a deeply troubled woman, whose claims of spectral rape were due to large part to extreme emotional distress, coupled with overactive imagination and fantasies. So, I don't know in my- I'm sorry, I gotta pause this for a second and just state my opinion here. As a person, I find it incredibly- speaking a lot about your character and not in a good way, when you tell people to dismiss another person's claim, yet you vow that yours is the truth and you want yours to be believed. He easily and without regard dismisses Dorothy and her children's claims of what they've experienced with assaults. Yet, in the following breath, he wants you to believe any and everything that he experienced without evidence. I mean, it sounds a little familiar, Doc. What I'm saying to that is, if you want somebody to believe you, you also need to believe others. That one kind of bothered me. I'm not saying what Dorothy had happened to her and what she claimed she experienced did or did not occur. But to openly state, you know, hey, that didn't happen and she's obviously crazy, but hey, my experiences with this paranormal phenomena did occur. That's just, that rubs me the wrong way. So this sounds like poltergeist activity. Exactly. And contrary to what the book made it to believe, though Frank DeVolita did a great job of turning the case into a novel and the interpretation of the novel and the, and the book was that it was a ghost. However, the evidence does not support that hypothesis, in my opinion. It supports the hypothesis this was the poltergeist case. were involved agree that Doris was definitely a troubled woman. She led a troubled and traumatic life. She definitely had some trauma from her experiences and that took an impact on her mind. Now let's add in a cocktail of drugs and alcohol and of course extreme poverty and dire circumstances. In fact, Barry and Carrie even acknowledge her mental status and history. Quote, Doris was very evasive and somewhat cryptic regarding her background, so much so that she even refused to tell us her age. Had we pushed hard enough for Doris to reveal more about her hellish past, such efforts on our part might have pushed us right off the case. Had we even attempted to secure the type of background information that we currently collect, such as medical, psychological, family psychodynamics, prescribed medications, you know, names, meds, dosage, and duration, as well as non-recreational drugs and alcohol usage. Doris would surely have shown us the door from the outset. We had no way of knowing just how utterly disturbing of a life she really had led. Now let's say you just glance and you read a story about a woman who is stating these kinds of things. It's very easy to kind of, I guess, go with an Occam's razor here, which suggests the most likely explanation is the most obvious one. Doris and her many ghostly encounters were actually imagined. Now, I am not stating this is factual. I'm stating how Carrie and Barry were coming across with it, trying to let you know or whoever so came across the case and read about it or heard about it, just knew that there was a good chance that maybe, just maybe, she, she was a little bit psychologically could explain what she experienced. Not saying that the haunting 
didn't happen because they were very adamant that there was a presence in that house, if not multiple. It's just been debated, was that presence sexual or not? Especially when you can kind of explain some of the events with such ordinary accidents that you and I experience through our life all the time. Like, how many times have you looked down at your body and found a mysterious bruise or red mark? Seeing a random bruise or red mark doesn't mean that a ghost slapped your ass and called you Sally and you just don't remember. Most likely, especially if you consume alcohol and drugs, you somehow injured yourself, you just can't remember because you were a little bit fucked up. I can't tell you how when I used to drink very heavily, if I may add, I would randomly slip and stumble and get hurt, and the next day I could not recall what happened at all, but I definitely had like a bruise on me, along with like a horrible headache, lots of vomiting, and I would sing to the porcelain gods way too much. For the record, I like barely drink now. If I do drink, it is so rare. Not knocking you though if you drink, I don't care, partake, have fun. Life sucks, do what you gotta do, right? <laughs> but like also, don't do drugs, okay? I mean, certain drugs, you know what? Let's continue, we're getting sidetracked. So yes, this could kind of explain what she could be interpreting as a mysterious and malicious haunting and assaults happening to her. Because there was real experiences happening in the home. It's not clear what, if anything, Doris and others truly experienced in the house. This is not to say that people who are suffering, by the way, from mental illness and are under the influence of like cocktails and drugs can't also experience a truly genuine uh, like haunting or ghostly encounter. No, I'm not saying that like, hey, just because you're high and drinking a beer that if you literally saw a ghost, it didn't happen. I'm just saying if your mind is a little bit, whoop, whoop, it's a little bit more of a chance that, well, it could be explained away because your mind was a little bit woo-woo. Also with mental illness as well. I mean, come on, I have PTSD and I can totally understand that sometimes I'm pretty sure things that I believe I hear is just my mind. Also, fun fact, I don't know if any of you know this, but in case you may have ever heard your name being called, because this is a very common thing, that is actually a sign of a very healthy mind. So as creepy as it may be to be all alone and all of a sudden hear somebody go, your name, it's fucking terrifying but that just means your brain is doing fan-fucking-tastic. Also, I did the your name because I don't actually know who you are listening to this right now and I don't think it'd be so creepy if you just heard somebody go, Harmony. You'd be like, what the fuck? Is that a short little fucking bidget in my house? Seriously, I'm gonna go to the next segment, but I threw that in there because I don't think some of you guys realize how short I really am. But let's get back to the spookies. Okay, let's get... Now, when Doris moved, finally, from Culver City to Carson, it followed her. We had some experiences there, but at a lower level of activity, discussed in my book and on my website. She moved again to Texas and followed her there. And by the time we saw her again in 83, when the movie The Entity came out, uh, she claimed that it all but ceased. However, a good friend of mine, a friend of mine named Javier Ortega from GhostTheory.com, he's been able to speak to her three male children. And they claim the phenomena began before she lived on Braddock Drive in Culver City and continued long after they moved. But the problem is the one who did the most speaking of it kept contradicting himself during the interview, which is not a good indication of either no. memory or honesty. And, you know, now Doris Beither passed away in 1999 at the age of 58. And the cause of death was cardiopulmonary arrest, but they don't know why her heart lungs stopped. Okay, now this part kind of, this doesn't sit right with me and it kind of bothers me. And I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I do want to explain this to you. Barry Taff, having somehow ruled out a hoax, which, okay, fine, totally understand. Weird shit happens in this world. So maybe people really were experiencing things, even though, Mr. Bear Bear, you don't really have any evidence. You want us to believe you, so okay. Not a hoax, and you also told Doris it wasn't a hoax. Like, you're verifying everything that she experienced is true. Except, and he states it, everything that Doris claims happened, happened. Except the sexual assaults. He actually explains them away in a sense. He states that uh, Doris is a peculiar woman. She, you know, she doesn't very upfront about herself. She didn't even state, you know, her age, as I told you earlier. Yet, he says that 
there's nothing psychologically wrong with her, even though his actual explanation for what's going on is basically a poltergeist. And I don't mean basically, he flat out says it's a poltergeist. And in case you were wondering and are unaware, a poltergeist is actually a... <laughs> Poltergeist is a noisy spirit in German, so that's a ghost, however it's not. A poltergeist is actually energy that cannot be displaced, therefore it usually is fueled by rage, sadness, high emotion, and energy in and of something else, but could come from that energy itself. See? Super hard to explain. Kind of. Basically, let's say you had something really crazy happen to you, or your hormones, there we go, 16, I think, I don't know, 13 to 17 year olds, that's where it is. If you look up research on poltergeist cases around that age, you could read about a lot of teens to preteens who have uh, disturbing things happening, and it's because there's a high amount of energy because of the changes going on in that body and the things that happen to your mind as that's going on. Lots of energy, lots of emotions, and weird shit starts to begin. So he says that a noisy spirit or a poltergeist is actually what is causing this. And of course, it's Doris. Doris is the center. She's got to be, right? Because she's had an abusive life. She's had a rough life. After all, she's using alcohol and drugs for a cope. She's living in poverty because she's experienced so much hardship. Yet, with all that he claims, all of that, he states, by no means though, is there a psychological disturbance that can explain this away. However, in the same breath, he explains away a claim that Doris makes, and that is that she's sexually assaulted because he says psychologically, there's a disturbance there. Just, Mr. Bear Bear, if you ever hear this, please send me an email. What's the actual EFF harmony at gmail.com? I mean, no disrespect, but what the fuck? How are you gonna, how are you gonna say it's not one thing only to explain away something that doesn't fit your narrative with that one thing? My apologies if I offend. Just don't seem to wrap my head around that, doctor. A lot of people don't know that, but many deaths go virtually unexplained. Uh, was there any indication, Doctor, of what began the attachment of this poltergeist to her? Well, according to what, now this is according to what her kids said. When they were living in Santa Monica before they moved to Braddock Drive, little things began happening. Banging noises, things that appear and disappear. They'd see lights, but it was a very low level. They move into the Braddock Drive house sometime later. And uh, it's a little shack. It was condemned several times by the city. I'm surprised anyone could live in it. But she moved in a few days later. An elderly Hispanic woman comes up to the door, knocks on it. Doris goes to the door. What do you want? And she says, this house is evil. You must leave it. It used to be a farmhouse. You can't stay here. And Doris went, are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? The lady left, and Doris forgot about it. And then sometime, not a short time later, things started you know, started to peak in Doris's new home. Now, as I said, she, most most of my case my case well, I'd say ninety eight percent of my cases are linked to people, which seems to be the norm. However, it's more complicated than that because we've now learned that this phenomena is the result of some people's neurophysiology interacting in a very extraordinary way with the electromagnetic magnetic environment or geomagnetic environment they happen to live in. Mm. And if they have the right type of neurophysiological problem this may end up producing what we call poltergeist activity. And this is outlined in my book, Ad Nauseam. But bottom line, as you know, poltergeist activity is referred to as recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis, meaning it's not controllable. It can be a macroscopic level for heavy, massive objects can move, including people. And this case supports that. Doctor, uh, was it your, is it your view, uh, in, in looking back on this case now, that she was the... The center of the activity, voluntarily or involuntarily, more likely, she was producing this poltergeist activity herself? Yes. On the whole, the experience had the markings of amateur investigation all over it. Yes, there was a doctor from UCLA involved, however, there was little to no effort by the investigators to establish any sort of protocol. You know, like keep people from contaminating the scene. I don't know, if you're trying to hear if there's a ghost doing a 
knock, <laughs> maybe don't have people talking. Or maybe try to just check out maybe if there's any fraud going on. Maybe it's a hoax. I don't know. Look into someone's background a little. Maybe at the very least, find the age of the subject. I'm just saying. The fact that Barry not only believes he is psychic, which I'm not faulting. I'm not faulting. Again, we live in a world that's too narcissistic to just not believe that something weird could possibly be. I don't fucking... I've heard and seen weirder in my life, honestly. But he believes that he's psychic. Yet he suggests that a seance would be a valid investigative technique. And you know what? It is. It's valid if you want to just maybe have an odd or peculiar experience. But to say that a seance, unless without unmitigated evidence you have right before you something unworldly unorthodox occurs that just is like holy shit maybe i don't know a seance isn't the way to do a scientific fact in my opinion but if you ask barry it sure is however i do want to make it clear though that i'm not giving him any sort of crap for saying that he believes he is psychic as i believe that every and anybody does and can have their own I guess you can call them intuitive gifts. I'm not saying that anybody and everybody can be like, oh my god, I see dead people. But I do believe we all have it inside of ourselves to feel danger and sense when something maybe just isn't as it seems. And that is actually a gift. That's called the gift of intuition. Da -dun -da! But seriously, I think we all do have a little bit of something. It's just a matter of if we access it or not. However, I just do find it a bit disturbing that he does take a seance as credence when there's no evidence. Like, if there was an evidence, hard, like I said, unmitigated proof, then okay, obviously. But I can tell you, I can sit here all day and tell you about experiences I've had, and that doesn't make it. It doesn't make it fact. It doesn't make it science. I'm sorry. There's no way for me to test it. There's no way for you to see it. You just gotta take my word for it. And that is not fact. Taking someone's word is not fact. But according to Barry, he has investigated something like 3,500 cases. Quote his words, I don't know, some like 3,500 cases, I believe. All of these cases pertain to ghosts, hauntings, apparitions, and poltergeist. And this is all in the span of about 30 years. That would average roughly about, let me just do the math here, I don't know, between like Maybe on a slow year, 113 cases, and on a heavy year, 120, 122, but an average of about 117 cases a year. Or one every three days. Okay, okay, okay. If this is true. That's, this, is, this is more accomplishing and more incredible, at least in my opinion, than his ability to have absolutely no strong evidence in that time span. And this is coming from someone that strongly believes in the paranormal field. Barry's lack of evidence would be less of an issue if other people that were around and also were supposedly, you know, experiencing these things with him corroborated his story. Curiously, despite, I don't know, something like 50 people allegedly having been present at one point or another, none, and I mean none, seem to have come forward with accounts of evidence. I don't doubt that people were involved, and I'm sure they probably were. However, the lack of cooperation or eyewitnesses or people being there stating, yeah, I was there, and holy shit, it was terrifying. I don't know, it's just, it's just, it's just one person. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just find it a little curious about all of that. However, given the notoriety of the case, at least a few of the dozen eyewitnesses to these absolutely incredible paranormal activity that he claimed to have witnessed would have absolutely at least come forward maybe for like a few minutes of fame or even just to stay away from the like spotlight but just share yeah no i i saw that i experienced that and it was absolutely scary like to this day it plagues me i still look over my shoulder and when i go to sleep at night there's a nightlight at the end of my bed because i'm so scared or maybe someone would come forward because they saw the book and go that's not even true i was there nothing happened dude somebody because there were people according to bear bear sorry <laughs> mr taff but for that matter with so many like camera toting witnesses because he brought an investigative team and i use that lucy like i said early because there wasn't a whole lot of a uh, guidelines that he went by i guess and i also don't really know the guidelines but i don't think he followed them but if there are people that had all of this recording equipment and were taking all of these photos and everything where is it 
Where is it? That is one thing that always blows my mind with people that love paranormal things and have so many experiences when they state that there are cameras around or so forth. I have my own things that I've caught and everything that I have caught, if I have access to it, I will fucking let you hear it. I will throw it out there. However, when it comes to the big things, it seems as though some people just hold on to that shit like it's fucking a secret pile of gold. Because Mr. Taff seems to be doing that because we don't have any tangible evidence of all the things that happened with all the witnesses that were there, with all the cameras and all the recording equipment, and we don't even got a speck to see. And they were triggering the onset of the phenomenon. Doris had a really very dysfunctional relationship with her family growing up, with different men, and it's it's sort of like um, there was an episode of Star Trek I forgot the name of it with Michael Dunn they were on a planet where all the elders had psychokinetic abilities and at one point one of the actors becomes sick one of the peepers, and, he, and Spock said we're seeing this psych- telekinetic or psychokinetic manifestation of Parliament's delirium and that's sort of what we think was going on in Doris's case You did hear that. He used Star Trek to explain what was happening to Doris, but I also love that he explained it by a psychological disturbance, kind of in a sense, in a roundabout way. Because she has so much energy because of the shit that she's endured. Had to say it like that, because remember, he said it's not because of a psychological disturbance. But basically, she had so much pent-up emotion because of the things that had happened to her. That that shit had to escape. Energy cannot be destroyed, but it has to get out and it will be displaced. So it got free. And that led to all that havoc. All the havoc, again, that we have no evidence of. All the terror and the horror that so many people saw and witnessed. But none of them have come forward. All of the cameras that were clicking and the audio that was recording. But we've never heard or seen. Despite the fact that, yes, Barry Taff has a doctorate and is in parapsychology with UCLA at the time. So this is somewhat of like a scientific case. That's at least how it's been referred to, a scientifical case of paranormal events. But in all reality, again, I don't know protocol, but the entity investigation is really, it's, it's rifle and amiss with violations of just not protocol. I mean, there's a lot of things that leave people skeptical, and I, for one, really believe in the paranormal, but you can't lead with somebody having addictions and saying that absolutely, without a doubt, those didn't cause what she's having, what she's experiencing. Yes, it does. Also, it totally has an effect on some of the experiences, but not all of them. No, 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 no. Only the ones that I choose. You see what I'm saying? In fact, according to Barry, quote, If I can't explain it, then no one can. So that's very tough. The entity case, though, has received little skeptical scrutiny, it seems, because there's so much notoriety to it. I mean, there are people that absolutely do not believe it. However, not to the degree that I think it should possibly be a little bit met with. Many cases that are true stories of like alleged hauntings involve people who are scared and desperate and, you know, like mentally ill or going through some shit, fighting things or people in their life. They got a lot of stuff going on, right? Like, okay, Ed and Lorraine, a lot of their cases that they went into, a lot of people say that they exploited the people that they, that had these experiences because they don't know what they were actually dealing with because some of these people actually did have very real tragedies and things that were going on that explained some of the situation. But here we're Ed and Lorraine just out here, you know, like making money. Look at the, the Conjuring franchise. It's not exactly the truth. <laughs> so... It's, it's like, you know, what, how much would you do just to make a few bucks? And it seems as though some people believe that's exactly what Dr. Taft did. Now, there is no reason to think that Doris's story is an absolute hoax. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. Maybe, possibly, just review the information. You know, we see a lot of things on the internet, and we read a lot of stuff these days, and we take it for face value. There's a lot of catchy titles, a lot of one-liners, a lot of things that make you go, oh shit, nukes, 
They're heading this way. When you just saw a headline that said nuclear war coming to the US. So the first thing you think is, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. When what they mean is because of what's going on overseas, if it continues, <laughs> maybe. Do research, look into stuff, cause not everything spooky, scary skeletons is actually spooky, scary skeletons. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's a mental illness. Sometimes it's drugs. Sometimes it's alcohol. Maybe it's Maybelline. Sorry. <laughs> but there it is, the case of the entity. A case of documented paranormal activity even created a movie that was based on quote, true events. Events of which have never actually been seen, huh? Or proven to be true. Ever heard from Doris Byther, who was around when the film came out in 1983. Uh, she was at a screening at Fox with all of us and uh, she liked it. I think she felt threatened by all this attention. But on another level, I think she appreciated that we were trying to help her come to grips with what was going on. So there it is, the true story behind the movie, The Entity. I do want to say, if you look into it, you can find old videos of them showing their proof of like their evidence. And it's like four or five photographs tops. And they say, like, Mr. Mr. Taffy Man himself says that they used an SLR camera. And that is what these images were caught on. However, they are clearly 1000% without my doubt, Polaroids. I don't know, something about this case just <sighs> reeks of embellishment. Or, I don't know, just a fitted narrative to a parapsychologist that wanted 15 minutes of fame. No, I am not saying, by the way, that paranormal activity and cases and stories of that are not real. Absolutely not. I 100% believe that many of them are. But to the extent that they are reiterated to us, no, not at all. I've had terrifying things happen in my life and ones that have fucked me up. However, I do believe a Hollywood movie, if were to recreate my events, would absolutely embellish the ever-loving shit out of them. Not that Doris's story wouldn't already be terrifying all on its own. Obviously, that's why her friend said something to Barry and Carrie while they were at the bookstore. Again, it's not clear if Doris was there as well, because a few things say that it was just her friend who happened to actually overhear both Barry and Carrie, or just Carrie, and I even read one source that it was just Barry, so yeah. Again, the case is just <laughs> all over. However, you know, it really, it could be true. It could be. Especially to just how Mr. Taft states it is, you know, uh, everything 100% is unequivocally real. All like she says, everything that he experienced, everything that she experienced, except the sexual stuff. That's Mr. Taft's words. Everything else is 100% undeniably true. Something about this just, it just doesn't sit right with me. Anyways, I wanted to share that with you because, per usual, I like to come here weekly and tell you stories that make me go, huh, what the actual, <laughs> you don't see that every day, do ya? So, there was my tale for you this week. A spooky ghost story wrapped in scientific evidence. Except, <laughs> there wasn't any. Anyways, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I look forward to talking to you on the next episode of What the Actual F. As always, if you are Mr. Taff and you want to send me an email, please go ahead. Or anybody else, as always, please do so. You can reach out to me at whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. Send me a case you want me to look into. Tell me something you like about an episode that I've already done or anything you'd like. I love hearing from you guys. However, until our next meeting, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful next few days or week or, you know, whenever. Until we meet again, stay safe, guys. Okay, well, <laughs> love you. Bye.